Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by MyBookie. Wilder versus Fury, Mayweather versus Pacquiao, electric personalities that produce big fights and even bigger betting opportunities. This Saturday, Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley run it back, and it will be no different. So don't miss out on the action. Bet the fight with MyBookie. MyBookie has the best odds and prop bets for Paul Woodley, too, and you can start by doubling your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000 using promo code SPORTSDRINK. That's double your deposit to double your funds and double the excitement for Paul Woodley, too, at MyBookie. As much as we'd love to see Jake Paul eat canvas, he's looked strong in previous matchups, and with Woodley taking this fight on short notice, all the odds are in Paul's favor. Back the problem child to win this rematch, as he's sure to be the favorite. Don't miss out, and don't don't bet on Paul. That, I, I really do hope that Woodley just turns loose and knocks the piss out of that guy. But... Don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code SPORTSDRINK. Head to my bookie today, place your bets, fill your pockets, and watch this grudge match get settled with Paul versus Woodley 2. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. <laughs> What's up, guys? Week number 15 on tap. And our beloved Chicago Bears will be taking on the Minnesota Vikings. Unfortunately, Back on national TV on Monday Night Football. Um, I don't know what the uniform situation is because I thought for the longest time, I don't know where I got this uniform schedule messed up. I thought that the Bears were doing the red, excuse me, the the red, the orange jerseys on uh, Monday night against the uh, Vikings. I, I, I didn't realize they were doing it a, a couple weeks earlier against the uh, Cardinals where we played about as good as we looked because – God damn, those jerseys suck. Anyway, um, we might be wearing the throwbacks again. Those 1936 throwbacks where we look like the Michigan Wolverines with the stripes on our helmets. Uh, I think we've still got a game. It's either like this week or in a couple of weeks when we play the Giants, we'll be wearing those. Because we gotta wear, we've only worn them once. We wore them against Green Bay, and I think we're wearing them on Monday against the, the Vikings. If not, then just the regular Navies, and, you know, those look pretty good. So, anywho... We're going to be on national TV and taking on the Vikings team that uh, has been a roller coaster ride uh, this year. They, uh, you'll hear me talk about it with our great friend uh, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman from SB Nation. Uh, that th- this team reminds me a lot of the uh, 2013 Tressman-led Bears when when it was Tressman's first year when we had this amazing offense that was averaging like you know 28 to 30 points a game, whether it was Cutler or uh, McCown that was in there at quarterback, we were just steaming, steamrolling uh, defenses, just cranking out the points. The problem is our defense, which had been, you know, top five in 2012 overnight without Brian Urlacher. And we got, we had, we got old and we had injuries. 
uh, and things like that was one of the worst in the league. So we needed to score 30 plus points a game because our defense was going to give up just as many. And that's pretty much what the Vikings have been doing uh, this year. Their offense, aside from a couple of games, has been wildly consistent in scoring points. Kirk Cousins, 27 touchdowns, only five interceptions. Uh, Justin Jefferson is, is not having a sophomore slump. Adam Thielen leads the team in touchdowns. Dalvin Cook, despite a busted shoulder, is you know on the brink of another 1,000-yard seasons. This offense is hitting on all cylinders. It's the defense that's letting them down, which is very disappointing because Mike Zimmer was hired for his defensive um, acumen, which is funny because we hired our guy for the opposite reason to enhance our offense, and we have literally the worst in the NFL. So should be an interesting matchup on Monday night when our inept offense goes up against, uh, you know, a struggling defense. And, uh, you know, that offense is is going against our defense. And, boy, things could get interesting. And and, and we, all, we also talk about the history of this rivalry, how, how history usually has the Bears winning in Chicago, Minnesota winning in Minneapolis, but last year it was the opposite. The Vikings won in Chicago. The Bears won in Minnesota, actually for the third year in a row. It's been a while since we lost the game uh, in Minnesota. So, uh, you know, Matt Nagy's got a good record uh, against the Vikings, and, uh, you know, we'll see if it can hold up, uh, you know, and continue because I think he's like 5-1, and one, something like that, uh, against the Vikings. And um, if, yeah, and I think last year was his first loss to the Vikings on Monday Night Football, that horrible, horrible game where Nick Foles got hurt just before the bye week uh, and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we talk about the, 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 the Vikings and where they've been, the up and down season that they've had where, you know, they, they barely lose to the Ravens in overtime one week, and then the very next week they score 34 and beat the Packers. It's like, what the hell's going on with this team? You guys are all over the place. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, it was a fun conversation talking about one of the more interesting teams this year. And like I said, they remind me a lot of that 2013 squad where it's just like our offense is so good. Our offense is fantastic. If we even had a mediocre defense, we'd be 14 and two, we'd win the division and go rolling into the Super Bowl kind of thing. But instead we have a, a knockout offense and an actually useless defense which very much balances it out and speaks a lot to why it is the Vikings are six and seven right now. So their offensive output says they should be a much better football team, but their defense lets them down uh, all the time. So like I said, should be an interesting matchup on uh, Monday. It was a very interesting conversation with Chris talking about our two football teams. So let's take ahead. Let's go ahead and take a good listen. Myself and Chris Gates previewing Bears Vikings for week number 15. This is the week 15 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Week number 15. Our beloved are, uh, I don't know, what should I say? We're punished for yet another national TV date after, you know, giving all Bear fans in the world hope in the first half and then returning to their regular form in the second half to get murdered by Green Bay. Now we get to go back home to Soldier Field, and for the first time in Week 15, we got the Minnesota Vikings on tap, this time on Monday Night Football, being shunned by the Manning cast. 
uh, so they won't uh, make things interesting for us. And they're actually going to make us sit down and watch this game against the uh, four and nine Bears and the was it six and eight Vikings. And uh, to help us preview this ball game, as always, our good friend from the Daily Norseman, Chris Gates. Chris, welcome back, man. I am happy to be here, as always, Larry. And uh, it's probably a good thing they're not doing the Manning cast because I think that's a, a direct violation of Peyton and Eli's Eighth Amendment rights by uh, subjecting <laughs> them to uh, to what I think we're going to see on Monday night. Because these two teams, man, I don't even know what to say anymore. Right. You know, I know, I know that I have plenty to say about my guys, but I was just looking at the <laughs> schedule for you guys, and is is it written somewhere you guys aren't allowed to play in in a in a I don't want to say in, in, in a non-close game, because aside from your 30-17 to 17 win against Seattle in week three, you've been in every – you've been a one-score ball game pretty much across the board from there. Like every game yeah. that was in Seattle has been like a one-score game and as far as the outcome is concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting season. Every game has basically come down to either the last drive or the last play or gone into overtime or – whatever the case may be, and this team just, I, I don't know. they I, I can't remember the last time the Vikings actually blew somebody out. I don't think they're capable of it anymore, but, I mean, this this has just been a weird season for us so far. Uh, I mean, because, like, you know, like I said, and, and the other thing is, you guys are, are you 6-7? and seven? Yeah, 6-7. Six 6-7 and, six seven. and seven with the win over Pittsburgh, which... Uh, Jesus. You had to make that one yeah. entertaining, didn't you? You're up 29 to nothing at one point, and it gets all the way down to uh, a one-score game before you finally close it out, 36 to to 28, thinking you're cruising. And, you know, this. all we're going to talk about tomorrow is Dalvin Cook's busted shoulder and 205-yard rushing day despite that. And in the end, it was about how much, you know, it was about, uh, what was it, Chase Claypool? And dancing, uh, you know, on that first down, wasting <laughs> seconds that eventually, that basically could have cost, uh, that, you know, cost them at least a chance at another shot to win the uh, football game. So never mind Dalvin Cook playing on a busted, you know, labrum and 205 yards rushing and the 29 point lead at one point. Now we're talking about Chase Claypool not realizing when and when is and isn't the good time to celebrate a first down. And that ended up costing the Pittsburgh Steelers the game. So, I mean, just a weird, weird ending to the game on Thursday. It really, this team was up with seven minutes left in the third quarter. They were ahead by 29 points. Yeah. And if it wasn't for Harrison Smith making a great play on the last play of the game, the Steelers would have been lining up for a two-point conversion to tie. (laughs) I think I saw a stat, something about there were something like 1,600-plus teams that had gone down by 29 or more points in NFL history. And the Steelers were the first one who had the ball with an opportunity to tie or win at the end of the game. Uh, the stats, something like that. I retweeted it somewhere. But, wow. yeah, th- that's just the kind of season the Vikings are having. Every week, there's some weird stat. Like, teams are, like, they were 700-0 when a certain situation took place. And now because of the Vikings, it's like 700 wins and one loss. There's just a stat like that every week that the Vikings are on the wrong end of that you scratch your head and look at and go, how the hell did they manage to do that? But it's just not even surprising with this team anymore, quite frankly. It also seems kind of random where your wins and losses uh, are coming from. I mean, you, you, you go out week one, and I actually watched quite a bit of the, well, most of the, the, the week one matchup with the Bengals, mostly because, I mean, I know I wouldn't see you for a while, but we, were, we played the Bengals week two. 
and that one went all the way to overtime. And I mean, just the the whole back and forth nature of that game, and, and Cincinnati eventually won it. And and that's a loss that's gotten better the further you've gotten away from it because Cincinnati turned out to actually be a pretty decent football team this year. But looking at it week yep. one, you know, this was one of the worst teams in the league. They had a top five draft choice and uh, and all that kind of stuff. It, 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 on, on the face of it, it looked like one of those week one fluke uh, victories for the for the Bengals. You see that in the NFL every year where nobody can quite explain how this victory happened, like the the Saints and the Packers. How the hell did Green Bay lose 38-3 to to the Saints uh, week one? You know, and it was just kind of shaping up to be, you know, like from – from the from the lens of 2020, how did the Vikings lose to Cincinnati Week One? How did that happen? I mean, the the first drive of the game, they had four penalties. That's never a good way to get things uh, started. So that that'll that'll make things go badly. Right. And I mean, the, the the way the way the Vikings, I don't know. I they had an opportunity to win against Cincinnati. They were driving down the field for what would have been at least a go ahead field goal. Right. And Dalvin Cook coughed it up and Cincinnati went back the other way and got a field goal of their own with time expiring. And, yeah, I mean, they they had like 12 or 13 penalties that game, and that's never going to be a recipe for success, especially, like you said, we all thought the Bengals were still going to be the Bengals, like right. a really bad football team. But, you know, like you said, the further we've gotten from the Cincinnati loss, the, the better it sort of looks. But, yeah, I mean, 12 or 13 penalties in a game is never a recipe for success, and, you know, they, they didn't get the offense going until late, and it was just a combination of a bunch of things that wound up being just bad. And it was luck, too, because wasn't the, the Cook fumble the one where, like, upon replay, they just had to go with what the call on the field was because they couldn't really tell? Because that yeah, was they, the one where, where every, it looked like, yeah, he, every, like his butt might have been on the ground but couldn't tell if the ball was out, but they called it a fumble on the field. They didn't have evidence to overturn it, so they just stuck with the call. So there's, like, bad luck on that one. Yeah, it probably would have been one of those ones where if they would have called him down by contact on the field, they would have stick. They would have stuck with down by contact, right? Because they called it a fumble on the field, and like you said, they didn't have enough to overturn it. They just had to roll with that call. And then the Vikings got the Bengals to fourth and one at like midfield on the next possession, and gave up just a huge pass that wound up setting up the field goal. So yeah, it was an all around ugly performance from Minnesota back in Week One. And, and then week two, don't you jump out ahead big on Arizona on the road again? I mean, you start two road games to start the year, and then yep. you're at Arizona. And um, you, you, am I remembering that correctly? Didn't you get out and big yep. on on Arizona in the start? We had a we had a 64 yard touchdown pass on the second play of the game to right. put the Vikings ahead. And yeah, it was a it was a lot of back and forth uh, for the most part. I can't remember what the furthest was we got out ahead of Arizona that one, but I do know that. Yeah, second offensive play of the game. We uh, had the 64-yard touchdown from uh, Cousins to K.J. Osborne. And, yeah, it, that was a really solid, really close game. And, you know, once again, the Vikings had an opportunity to win it at the end, and we miss a field goal that's shorter than an extra point and wound up, wind up losing by one point to a team that, uh, until last night, was the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty rough, uh, rough going as well. And then you, you fast forward to week three, you're playing the Seahawks. Now, through the lens of 2020, still looking at, you know, who this team was, a.k.a. a playoff team in, in 2020, you, you, can't, you can't beat the Bengals, you can't beat the Cardinals. Neither one of those teams made the playoffs last year. And then you're at home against the playoff team, and 
This was probably your most convincing win of the season, 30-17, and from what I remember, it wasn't even that close. No, it, the, the second half, I think they shut the Seahawks out, if I remember correctly. I'd have to go back and look at the box score, but yeah, the Seahawks didn't do much in the second half. I mean, the, the Vikings had a rough go of it early, but yeah, once the once the second half started, they pretty much turned it around, and Russell Wilson couldn't do much. We had never beaten Russell Wilson before uh, that game. He was like 7-0 and against the Vikings or something <laughs> like that. And, There's another one of those yeah, stats, right? Yeah, another one of those stats, but uh, the Vikings got the uh, the monkey off their back in that one, and yeah, that's the only game they've had this year that's been decided either direction by uh, by double figures. Score, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and looking back at this one, like you, you talked about how the Bengals' loss looks better. Uh, the Seahawks, the victory over the Seahawks looks a little less impressive because the uh, yeah. the Seahawks have not been particularly good this season. So yeah, you know, it kind of balances itself out in the right. end, I guess. <laughs> And then, I mean, it's like, I, I don't mean to go game to game, but it's been such a crazy season for you guys. Mm-hmm. Then week four, you're at home again against the Browns. You have this this wild finish at the end where you're trying to, it's it's a 14-7 to 7 game. So basically, it was either all defense or nobody's offense showed up, one of the two. And you guys have the ball at the end of the football game. And wasn't there a crazy finish to that one, too? There was. Cousins threw one into the end zone for Adam Thielen, and it looked like they probably could have or should have called pass interference in the end zone that yes. would have uh, yeah. given the Vikings the ball at the one-yard line, but there was no flag. And <clears throat> Yeah, the, the Vikings scored on their first drive that game and then didn't get any more points the rest of the way. And wow. it was <laughs> After the first drive, it was a pretty terrible showing by the offense all around. So, And the, the only reason the Browns didn't blow us out is because uh, Baker Mayfield was just trash that mm. game for the most part. I mean, he completed less than 50% of his passes, but they – murdered us on the ground with uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I believe they ran for over 200 yards. So, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely the key to that one. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was impressive uh, to me. How many times did they sack Cousins in that one? Uh, th- three or four, I think. I'd have to pull up the uh, the stat sheet here and which see would have been that. a uh, which would have been a parade worthy performance, considering they came and sacked you guys three times after they sacked poor Justin Fields. Nine times the week before. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, we got to sit there and watch Nagy uh, and company, who was still play call, making, doing the play calling at that point, uh, leave uh, Justin Fields on an island with against the best pass rushing duo in the NFL and Clowney and, uh, and Miles Garrett, yeah. just leaving the tackles alone, no chip blocks, no rollouts, no moving the pocket, anything like that. Sacked him four times in the first half, and you'd think they'd make adjustments at halftime. No, because they yeah. sacked him five times in the second half. It was just it was brutal to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's weird because you know the Vikings' offensive line has been pretty bad over the last couple of years. I just looked back at the uh, the stat sheet; they only wound up with two sacks that game. Okay. I guess I thought it was more than that, but you know they they went into Arizona week two, and you know back in week one, I can't remember who the Cardinals played, but Chandler Jones had like five sacks in one game or something like that. Right. And it was Carolina, you know, wasn't it? it? It was Carolina or Tennessee or something Tennessee. like that. I can't remember. You're right. It might That's have been Tennessee, was. yeah. It was Tennessee. Yeah he, yeah, he had five sacks in one game, and the, the Cardinals only had one sack against the Vikings, so that, that was kind of weird. But, you know, credit to the offensive line a little bit. The, uh, the offensive line has not been given up uh, quite as many sacks this year as they have been in years past. Has Darishaw been starting the whole year? He, uh, he missed the first 
four games, I believe, with an injury, and then he got in. No, actually, he made a he made his debut on special teams against Cleveland. He missed the first three games, and then uh, when they got to Carolina and Detroit, he was the starter. He's missed the last couple games with uh, with an ankle issue. I'm hoping he's going to be back here uh, sooner rather than later. I haven't seen any updates on how he's coming along with that, but he started about half the games for the Vikings this year and has actually looked pretty good during the time he's been in there, so that's that's been a help. Uh, okay, and then week five, you're at home, and it takes a last-second field goal to beat the Lions. And it just seemed like in the beginning of the season, the Lions just couldn't catch a break. With nope. uh, you know, like if if they could figure out how to put a sixty-minute ball game together, they probably would have won at least one or two of those games early on in the season. For them to get blown out of the gates against San Francisco, but end up making it a one-point game at the or a one-score game by the end, uh, you know, Baltimore needing a NFL record sixty-six-yard field goal from Justin Tucker uh, to beat them in Week Three. Uh, and then here we are a couple weeks later, they're on the road, and it's Minnesota's got to kick a game winner to uh, avoid being uh, Detroit's first win uh, as well. And then, of course, fast forward to last week, yeah. and they beat you <laughs> on the final play uh, of the game uh, to actually get that first win um, uh, yeah. and everything. And it just it's been up and down for you guys since then. You get the win over Carolina, then you have the bye. You lose to Dallas and Baltimore. Baltimore was a was another overtime game for yep. you guys. You you go out, you go out to LA against one of the better young teams in the NFL with the Chargers, and you beat them. Then you lose to the or the, no, then you beat Green Bay. What the hell, man? What's going on with you guys? And you lose to San Francisco. I mean, it's all over the place for you guys this year. I, I it's it's weird. I was listening to NFL Network on Sirius on my way to work. Uh, can't remember which if it was after the Niners game or it was after the Detroit game or whichever one it was. And I think it was Charlie Weiss was going on about how the the Vikings are probably the most inconsistent team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I, I say to the contrary, they are by far the most consistent team in the National Football League because this team plays the same freaking game every single week. Yeah. The, the opponent the opponent changes, the location changes whatever, but it's the same thing every week. You get out to a lead, uh, the offense is humming, the defense is getting stops, and then all of a sudden one thing goes wrong, whether it's a turnover or giving up a big play, and everything goes to hell, and you have to hold on for dear life at the end of the game and hope that either you don't screw up or that the other team does. So, yeah, this is is the most consistent team in the National Football League. They just consistently, you know, keep things interesting it's just the results that are schizophrenic it really is it really is i mean yeah. it's there's wins there's losses I, th- th- this team hasn't been above 500 since the end of the 2019 season wow i mean they they've had a, they've had a few times where they've gotten to 500 right uh, they got to 500 a couple times last year they got back to 500 a couple of times this season after being a couple games under but yeah they, they have not been over 500 since the end of the 2019 season yeah, I mean it's just it's just been crazy to watch uh, with the um, with, with you know the the up and down results, and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to who they beat and why, or who they lose to and why. Because no. you know you have the you you know you squeak out a win over Detroit at home uh, week number five, then you fast forward what seven eight weeks later and you lose to Detroit 
uh, on the final yep. play of the game to the point where if you add the point totals up, you guys are dead even with each other. They You beat mm-hmm. them by two, they beat you by two. So you scored the same amount of points for and against each other in that matchup this year, and you split the two uh, you split the series between the uh, between the Lions this year. My Bears only have four wins, and two of them are against Detroit. That's how our <laughs> season's going. So, you know, it's it's been a it's been a crazy year for just about everybody. It's the Bears have been you know you called yourselves consistent. We've been consistently awful, like incompetent looking, and you know all the consistently disappointing. Or at least you guys show up every once in a while, and you you have to hang on for a victory. The games all look the same. It's the results that are kind of mind-boggling. But, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, at least your games are exciting. Ours are, rarely are. Yeah, but, I mean, I'm getting older. I can only handle so much excitement, man. I mean, jeez. <laughs> can can we, just, we just go out and beat a team by, like, 30 points? Just one? I, th- I think the last team that the Vikings just went out and pounded was uh, the Chargers a couple of years ago. They were playing in Los Angeles when the Chargers were still playing – the uh, soccer, at the stadium. soccer stadium, yeah, uh, down there in L.A., and it, it hold it. That place holds about half the people of a regular NFL stadium, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not even joking. Eighty percent of the crowd there was wearing purple. The Chargers were taking timeouts on offense because the crowd was too loud. It was just <laughs> it was in it was incredible to see. But yeah, they turned the ball over seven times, and I think the Vikings beat them by like twenty two points or something like that. And I, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I think that was the last team that the Vikings went out and just crushed and made things easy on us. So let's now that we've gone through what what a crazy roller coaster season you've had up to this point. You're six and seven. You're on the fringe of the playoffs right now. You're you're just behind uh, Washington, who's the seven seed right now, also at six and seven. And but there's also been a lot of talk this year because of your up and down results and you know the the inconsistencies as far as being able to close out games or getting out in front early and having to hang on at the end all of the game against Pittsburgh uh, on Thursday despite the fact that you guys are on the heels of making the playoffs for the first time in a couple of years at least right and uh, a lot of talk about Zimmer not returning next year like this is going to be it for him I mean the the guy I I don't want to hate Mike Zimmer I don't hate Mike Zimmer I think he's a decent football coach and you know he's probably he could probably be better in the right situation but I think and it's kind of something we saw at the end of Dennis Green's tenure in Minnesota as well that Mm. we've gotten to the point where the message just doesn't resonate the way it used to uh, with the players I think he's kind of I know we hate using the expression he's lost the locker room because I don't because this team still goes out and plays its butt off for Mike Zimmer. I mean, you can tell that from all the close games and whatnot. But, you know, th- there's just something missing, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I mean, Mike Zimmer is not quite as intense, I don't think, as he was during his first few years as the Vikings coach. And I don't know if that missing intensity is what's kind of causing this uh, this kind of roller coaster that we've alluded to and whatnot. But... Like I said, I, I don't want to hate Mike Zimmer, but I think it might be to the point where uh, Zimmer's time in Minnesota needs to be over in order for this franchise to kind of try to move forward and build itself back up. Do you think they still pull the trigger on that if you guys do end up making uh, the playoffs? I mean, in the last four games, you have us twice, so those are automatically winnable ball games. but you have those... <laughs> 
you have us sandwiched, or you know, or sandwiched between our games is L.A. and Green Bay, L.A. Rams uh, and Green Bay. So those would be some tough games. The Rams are at home. Green Bay is on the road for the rematch. Um, yep. You know, before of course we return to U.S. Bank Stadium to close out the year. Because I mean, yep. it's so weird the NFL did that, right? But um, yeah, I've never seen that before. No, it's no, only thing. only six times in the last seven years. But, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, it's is it? Do you think it still happens, or maybe does he resign? If you know, God forbid, if you make the playoffs and make, make an early exit, is Mike Zimmer coming back in twenty twenty two? I think we're to the point of the Mike Zimmer regime where just making the playoffs really isn't enough. Sure. I mean, we went out in the off season. And Mike Zimmer got literally everything he wanted on defense. He got to sign Dalvin Tomlinson. He got to sign Patrick Peterson. He got to sign Xavier Woods. He brought in Nick Vigil. They brought Sheldon Richardson back. Uh, They made sure Daniil Hunter was happy, which was going well before he got injured. Uh, he, He got to rebuild the defense, and the defense has been every bit as bad as it was last year. And so I don't think backing into the playoffs at, you know, nine and eight or eight and nine or whatever the case is going to be and, you know, maybe winning one game. I don't know if that's going to be enough to keep the the Wilfs from pulling the trigger and trying to go in a new direction with this team. Do you think maybe he's just, you know, run out of steam and that maybe he'll resign at the end of the year? I mean, does he have any time left on his contract or is this his contract year? They gave him an extension, so he's got one year after this one because they don't want to do the whole lame duck thing, so they keep doing the extension thing with uh, him and Rick Spielman. But uh, Zimmer doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to resign, that's just going to kind of give up the ghost or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think he would have to be fired in order for a a change to come come around unless, you know, and I don't want this to happen, obviously, but there was something that happened with his health or something like that because... He's getting up there in years. I'm pretty sure he's in his mid-60s at this point. Yeah. So, you know, that could be part of the issue as well. But like I said, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to, you know, walk into Ziggy Wolf's office and say, uh, I quit. Uh, it's time for me to go. I think he would have to be fired in order for any kind of change to happen. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, at the scores uh, for the games. And uh, like you're saying, the defense hasn't been uh, performing well, but your offense has to be if you guys keep playing in one-score games. Your defense gives up 31 points, but you score 34, or vice versa. And like the Baltimore game, you scored 31, Baltimore scored 34, and, uh, and, and things like that. So, you know, where's, what's with the extreme uh, polar opposites here where it seems like the offense doesn't really have a trouble? Because I don't really see a game, aside from maybe the Cleveland game, where it was like the offense just didn't show up, and it doesn't seem like that's been a, a problem for you guys. Because I think that you've had seven points against Cleveland and 16 points against Dallas. Every other game is 20 points or 20 points or more, actually even 30 points or more, and yet you're a below 500 football team. The, the thing of it with the defense is that they managed to kind of soil themselves at the worst possible times. Sure. Uh, the, the stat came out... Uh, just before the Pittsburgh game, I think it was from the ESPN beat reporter for the Vikings, that in the last two minutes of a half or the last two minutes of regulation, the Vikings have allowed 101 points. 
just in those situations. That's like a third of the points that they've allowed coming either the last two minutes of the first half or the last two minutes of the fourth quarter. So, I mean, the defense has been given plenty of situations or opportunities to make stops uh, at the end of games, and they haven't done it. I mean, they they tried to blow the Carolina game. They let Sam Darnold go 96 yards uh, on the final drive of regulation. Uh, they had an opportunity to get a stop against Dallas and didn't get it. Uh, they had opportunities to get stops against Green Bay. They tried to hand that one over, too, by giving up a 75-yard touchdown pass just before the two-minute right. warning. I remember but, that, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, they, th- this defense, I mean, for like the first 28 minutes of the first half and the first 28 minutes of the second half are pretty solid most of the time. It's the last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the second half where this team just, like I said, soils itself and gives up points. They're, they're giving up an average of a touchdown at the end of at the end of a half, and that's you can't have that if you're going to play close games all the time because that could be the difference between winning and losing at the end. So, you know, the defense has had the opportunity to make stops. They've had a couple of times where uh, Kirk Cousins and the offense have bailed them out. They bailed them out against Carolina, uh, bailed them out against Detroit the first time, and you know a couple of other opportunities. But the, it's not really. I mean, the defense hasn't been great. Uh, a lot of the time, but you know they just pick the worst moments to have their absolute worst moments of any given game, and we've seen that just about every game this year. I think the, I believe the Steelers game was the only game this season where they haven't given up points at either uh, the last two minutes of the first half or the last two minutes of the game, and they damn near did that too at the <laughs> at the end of the fourth quarter again. So yeah, yeah it, it's it's the when they decide to perform badly as much as a sustained bad performance sure and 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 i would assume that that's falling on the on at the feet of your defensive coordinator yeah both the uh, the defensive coordinator or co-defensive coordinators i should say and you know mike zimmer has a reputation of being a uh, defensive guru and yeah. i mean there there are times where you still see that i mean the vikings are still pretty good on third downs most of the time and you know they still <clears throat> get some solid blitz packages put in there and get pressure on quarterbacks. But, you know, you pick the worst possible time to collapse and it's going to become more noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, does it seem that, I mean, because you, you've mentioned a couple of times how they've, they've gotten out to big leads like this past Thursday uh, against the against the Steelers and then it's, it's, you know, trying to hang on late kind of thing. Do they just take the foot off? The gas is—is is that why it is that you know it seems like the opponent is able to make this late surge at the end to either win the football game or just come up short? I mean, there there's a lot of that. I mean, you know, there's been some times they've gotten ahead and you know they they have a drive where they're moving the ball along and you get to like second or th- well, usually it's a third down and you know third and short. And you just get a play call that makes you scratch your head and wonder what the heck they're doing and. You know, then they have to punt it away, and then usually the the Benny Hill music kicks in, and you know the uh, the the points start to the points start to flow a little bit. So yeah, yeah, it like I said, it only takes one bad thing most of the time for this team to to get off kilter, whether it's a turnover, whether it's a big play allowed by the defense. But you know, if if they could go without giving up that big play, I mean, they might be able to cruise a little bit, but. You know they make uh, they make a lot of the same mistakes, and you know you get a lot of the same results. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting if if things keep going the way that they are with our two teams here. It's like our guy, he's gone. Like I don't, I honestly still have no idea why he still has a job. Like <laughs> w- what is the point at this point? We got four games left, and and you know they are winnable games for us, especially you know with, you know with with the Vikings. That's always the home and home thing. So you you know history says you're going to come up short on Monday, but you're going to beat us. Uh, on the road, even though that's kind of been backwards the last couple of years. You guys yep. win in Chicago, we win in Minnesota, kind of because I think we've won three in a row in Minnesota or something crazy like that. But, um, yeah. you know, then we've got, we've got the Giants and the Seahawks, and like you said, the Seahawks aren't the Seahawks this year. So yeah. it's like, you know, even if we win out, we're still a losing football team. We, we, we don't we, – we're not going to make the playoffs, and it's just like what's the point in having this guy – uh, around like honestly he's not sticking around just let him go and if if things keep going the same way that they are for for minnesota where you keep towing the the 500 line even though one doesn't exist anymore in 17 game seasons now but uh you know all of a sudden uh what's his name in green bay lafleur is going to be the the longest tenured head coach at three seasons going into 2022 but i think there's something to be i mean i don't know if this is an actual justification for it or anything like that but you know if you if you're gonna fire a coach during the season you have to kind of look at the sideline and ask yourself who do we want to replace him for the last few weeks Mm -hmm. and if if there is anyone worthy of that kind of thing because the last time the vikings fired a coach during the season was when they canned uh, brad childress back in 2010 they fired him with six games left in the season and they had Leslie Frazier waiting in the wings as a defensive coordinator. And so Frazier, I believe, had gotten some uh, head coach interview opportunities uh, while he was the defensive coordinator in Minnesota and didn't take a head coaching job. And so when the Vikings fired Childress, they promoted Frazier to that spot. And, you know, Leslie Frazier, from all accounts, is one of the nicest humans around. I mean, you guys know Leslie Frazier. He was you know, a former bear. He was part of that 85 team yeah. and whatnot. But, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a great head coach. And, you know, we, we promoted him to that spot. And he had, a, he had a solid run there at the end of the 2010 season and got the full-time job for a few years. And, you know, like I said, he gave it a, he gave it a shot. But, I mean, he wasn't great. I mean, he's doing great as a defensive coordinator again in Buffalo. But, you know, I don't know if that – set the team back at all or anything like that so you know you just have to look at the sideline and ask yourself okay if if we fire the head guy who do we plug into his spot because you know you have to do it from somebody within the organization so yeah yeah you you just have to decide whether or not there's anyone that's worthy of that spot or anyone that you would potentially want to promote from within where if he does a good enough job he gets to have the job again next year right well we don't have anybody like that (laughs) in the building as far as like somebody that we would want to take over going forward. However, the bears are in a precarious situation where um, we, we hired a defensive specialist slash consultant type person uh, to help our young offensive court or excuse me, defensive coordinator, Sean Desai. It's his first year uh, as the DC. We hired Mike Petten from the green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. He was their defensive coordinator for years, and it was, it was like it was almost like perfect because Petten's been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator for years uh, in the league uh, and everything like that. That if we bring him with his head coaching experience, you like here, you 
you're the head coach for the next four games. That way, all of our coordinators keep their jobs. Everybody, you know, yeah. call, you know, d- does their own thing. You run your units. I'll run the team. We'll get through the end of this season and then see what happens in 2022. The other thing is what I know from Mike Pettin personally. He seems like a hard nosed, you know, um, kind of guy that would do well in Chicago as far as like being somebody the fan base could get behind. Not so animated as much as Ditka, but definitely one of those guys that brings, you know, zero Fs to a press conference uh, kind of thing. So, um, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, in in my opinion. But uh, Nagy, on the other hand, I mean, you know, it's bad (laughs) when people are talking about, well, he is a great guy. Oh, he's a great yep. guy. You know, I'd have a beer with Matt Nagy. He's the he's that guy that you'd love to have your neighbor. You know, stand out there in the front yard and talk about lawnmowers for a half hour. You know, or something like that. But uh, doesn't do well when uh, you're trying to win a Super Bowl. So um, you know, or when you go from being that team in the discussion to win one to the team that you know people burst out into laughter if you say your team and Super Bowl in the same sentence. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's become a mess uh, in Chicago. So I, I just um, – I look forward to – it just seems like, you know, it's that thing. We all know it's coming. And, you know, yep. just because it's been the Bears' policy up to this point not to fire midseason seems to be the only reason he still had the job. I can't really wrap my head around any other reason because, like I said, we've well, – we already lost Nagy for a game due to COVID, and Chris Tabor, our special teams coordinator, stepped in and actually did a pretty decent job running the mm-hmm. team uh, for that game. And then, like I said, we've got a guy on staff in in Chris Table, or excuse me, in uh, Mike Pettin. We also have Tom Herman, who was a head coach at, at Texas. He's on, on the staff uh, as well. Uh, DeFilippo's, uh, you know, our, our quarterback's coach and, and all that kind of stuff. There are guys that can step up and do this job. So it's not like that we have no options just to get us through the yeah. end of the season. Because Detroit didn't hang on to Daryl Bevel when he took over for – Matt Patricia last year, no, you know, didn't. doesn't mean he's got to be a candidate or that he's going to be handed the job at the end of the season. We just need somebody to get us through the end of the season. And we know this guy's on his way out. So we're just going to go ahead and cut the cord now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I got a strange feeling. We're both going to be busy on uh, black Monday this <laughs> year when the, uh, when the Turk comes around and right. starts telling coaches that they, that the ownership wants to see him and that kind of thing. But you know, I, I don't think the Vikings have anyone like that that I can think of off the top of my head. Sure. I mean, you know, like you said, you guys plugged in the special teams coach during the, the game that Nagy was gone. Uh, Mike Zimmer missed a game back in 2016 with his eye issues, and we plugged in our uh, special teams coach for that one. And, you know, I I think if they were to do something, they would probably promote the special teams coach uh, to uh, to that position because – you know, I don't think you're putting Clint Kubiak in that spot yet. I don't think you're putting uh, – well, you might be able to put Andre Patterson in that spot, the uh, defensive coordinator. He's been around long enough. But, you know, like I said, I don't know if any of those guys are going to be, you know, <clears throat> ready or willing or able to uh, – to, I, I don't think there's any chance they fire Zimmer during the season anymore. But, yeah, I think even if this team does manage to make the, pl- the postseason, I, I don't think he's coming back for 2022. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by my bookie. Wilder versus Fury, Mayweather versus Pacquiao, electric personalities that produce big fights and even bigger betting opportunities. This Saturday, Jake Paul and Tyrone Woodley run it back, and it will be no different. So don't miss out on the action. Bet the fight with my bookie. 
My bookie has the best odds and prop bets for Paul Woodley too, and you can start by doubling your initial deposit all the way up to $1,000 using promo code SPORTSDRINK. That's double your deposit to double your funds and double the excitement for Paul Woodley too at my bookie. As much as we'd love to see Jake Paul eat canvas, he's looked strong in previous matchups, and with Woodley taking this fight on short notice, all the odds are in Paul's favor. Back to problem child to win this rematch, as he's sure to be the favorite. Don't miss out, and don't don't bet on Paul. That, I, I really do hope that Woodley just turns loose and knocks the piss out of that guy. But don't miss out. Double your first deposit up to $1,000 by using promo code SPORTSDRINK. Head to my bookie today, place your bets, fill your pockets, and watch this grudge match get settled with Paul versus Woodley too. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Symbol. Symbol is the sports stock market that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. There are two ways to make money on Symbol. First, every time a team you own wins, you earn a cash win payout. Second, just like the stock market, if you think a team is going to increase in value, you can buy low and sell high for a profit. Use promo code SD as in sports drink to make your first deposit risk free. That means even if you lose money or just decide the market isn't for you, Symbol will refund your initial deposit, no questions asked. <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by the Spotify Green Room. Guys, Spotify Green Room is free, audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. Join in on conversations with me at Club 34-7 and have a chance to be featured on your favorite podcast. I'll be hosting rooms every week. Uh, for Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern. Come through and talk to me live on Club 34-7. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app in the iOS App Store, create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the group. Follow me at Larry D-E-E to be notified when my room goes live. And again, every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central, 8 o'clock Eastern, you can join me on the Spotify Green Room for Club 34-7. Come in, let's have a conversation, let's talk bears, let's talk whatever you want. But in order to do that, you got to download the Spotify Green Room anywhere you get your apps. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about some, some of your players here. Um, so what, uh, what the hell's in the Wheaties out there in, in Minnesota that Dalvin Cook could suffer a torn labrum, come back in the same season? Like, I don't even think he was gone two weeks, and then run for 205 yards against the uh Steelers I mean what what's uh what's the situation is it just like an injury like he's going to play on it as long as he can handle the pain because he can't make it any worse kind of thing I I guess that's what it is I mean leading up to the Steelers game I mean we saw the reports during the week where you know he missed all the practices leading up to the Detroit game because we knew he wasn't going to play against Detroit or whatever and then he they have like because it's the Thursday night game they had like the simulated a walkthrough practice on Monday when the first injury reports came out and right. he said he said did not participate and that didn't surprise anybody. And then all of a sudden on Tuesday and Wednesday it said he was limited in practice for like you know what? Yeah. But you know and, and I just assumed that this is because, you know, it's the Minnesota Vikings. He was gonna go out, carry the ball like twice and take a hit and you know, just completely ruin the rest of his season, and then he'd be out for the rest of the year. But uh, that just shows why some of the guys on the sidelines, I should say pretty much all the guys on the sidelines over there are smarter than I am because 
you know, they, they knew that Dalvin Cook was good to go, and he went out and just lit it up. And I don't understand. I, I'm not I'm not a physiologist or anything. I don't understand the nature of the injuries and that kind of thing. But, yeah. you know, tor- torn anything sounds bad. Right. And that's, uh, you know, a dude can go out and do that after that sort of injury. I mean, man, that's that's impressive. Well, I mean, he's a running back. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's not completely out of the realm of possibility, especially if it's a non-throwing like well, I mean Baker Mayfield in Cleveland right now is playing with a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. It's like, you know, yep. granted quarterbacks take hits, but they don't get hit on every single play every time they touch the ball like running backs do. I mean, no. and these are guys that lead with their shoulders for a living, and somehow this guy who's going to hit somebody with that shoulder on every single snap is playing with a seat with an, a shoulder an injury that's supposed to end your season. Yeah, like I said, I was absolutely stunned when they ran him out there last week. And, you know, I mean, they he had a similar injury, I guess, back in 2019. And he missed the last couple games of the regular season. And, you know, the Vikings went down to New Orleans for the playoff game that year. And they gave him the uh, the shoulder harness. And he went out and had a solid game there, too. I guess they're basically doing the same thing uh, with this injury. Just basically, you know, we're we're going to let you go until you tell us that you can't go anymore. And... You know, that, that's kind of where we are with it, I guess. Did he have surgery then? He, I, I think he had surgery after the season. I'd have to go back and look it up. But, yeah, yeah he, because, yeah, they, they went out and beat the Saints in the playoffs that year, and then they went out and played the, the Niners team that wound up going to the Super Bowl right. and just got smoked in the divisional round. And I, I think he probably had surgery after the season of some sort. But, no, he, he didn't have it after he got hurt or during the season or anything right, like that. Right, no, no, no. That's what I, what I meant was when when he, in the offseason, yeah. did he have surgery? Because Torm Labrums, that, that's almost always a surgery. That's why it's a season-ending yep. injury. You got to go in there and basically put your shoulder back together, and he's out there as a running back. Even in today's NFL, um, you know, this would have been suicide 30 years ago in the, mm-hmm. in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, you know, in the Emmett Smith or, God, even, you know, God forbid, even – you know, my guy sweetness in the mid to late eighties uh, and everything going out there with a torn labrum, give you a break, yeah. dude. I mean, people would have been literally like throwing elbows and punches into that shoulder, trying to get him out of the football game when it was, uh, you know, when football was a much grittier sport than it is today. But it just like I couldn't wrap my head around the idea. It's like it's a torn labrum, and he's a running back. Mm-hmm. It's like how how is he going to do that? It's like. He must be doped to the gills with legal painkillers <laughs> if he's out there running the football with a torn labrum. I just, it just, I just can't fathom it. I mean, you would have to get those giant Christian Okoye style shoulder yes. pads that make you look like you're some kind of like cyborg or something right. to go out there and. You know, I, I damn sure wouldn't be able. Now with the pads they wear now, I mean, you can't hardly even tell the the pads are there half the time now. Yeah. But no, that yeah, like you said, the dude's leading with his shoulder most of the time and trying to. I mean. Dalvin Cook is more of a go-around guys than go-through guys, but e- even those guys have to lower the shoulder and you know plow into somebody every once in a while, and you know it, it, it's painful just to even think about having to do that sort of thing. Never mind going out and actually doing it twenty-five or thirty times. Yeah, I mean, and then looking at the stats, stat-wise, Kirk Cousins is having a Pro Bowl season. Thirty, he is thirty-six hundred yards, twenty-seven touchdowns, only five picks which is by my estimation very unkirk cousins like to have so mm-hmm. few interceptions and then you know justin jefferson not having a sophomore slump nearly 1300 yards 
receiving, yeah. eight touchdowns. So rookie season was not a fluke uh, uh, and everything. And then I guess this really does fall on the defense if you've got an offense that's doing that and you're six and seven. It really does. I mean, the, the defense, I believe, was 20. I believe they were 30th in yardage last year. And they're somewhere around there again this year, like 28th or 29th or something like that. And, yeah, it, it's been pretty ugly. I mean, the the deep, the pass rush has been significantly better, even with Daniil Hunter out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still getting to quarterbacks. They're still getting sacks and that sort of thing. But, you know, they brought in a couple of big defensive tackles in Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson to uh, shore up the run defense. And Pierce has missed a bunch of games with an elbow injury. But, you know, even when Pierce and Tomlinson have been in there together, they really haven't done much to slow down the uh, the opponent's run game, and that's kind of disappointing given that what's that's what they were brought in here to do. So, yeah, I mean, the offense can compete with just about any team in the league, I think, but the defense, I mean, we got guys getting older, we got guys getting hurt, we got free agents that haven't necessarily worked out. But, yeah, I, I think a lot of the issues that the Vikings have this year do fall uh, more solidly on the defense than they do on anybody on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's why your your OC, you know, Clint, uh, it's Clint Kubiak, right? Yep, Gary yeah, son. Is, is Right, right, Gary Kubiak's son is getting a lot of talk uh, around the league. Um, I don't know so much about head coach, but definitely be somebody who is at least going to get some interviews uh, this year because uh, of what this offense has been able to accomplish. I mean, especially with how uh, efficient Kirk Cousins uh, has been this year. 27 touchdowns, five, only five interceptions. Those are Aaron Rodgers type numbers. Yeah. You know, right there. And, and you know, to be that efficient, to be mistake free uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, your, your, your rookie sensation is uh, not just the one hit wonder. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Dalvin Cook, almost a thousand yards so far on the year. And while Adam Thielen, you know, yardage wise isn't tearing it up, he's leading the team with 10 touchdowns. Uh, right now. So, I mean, your, your offense is hitting on all cylinders. And I got to tell you, man, if I had to choose between my team that, you know, is decent on defense and horrendous on offense or your team, which is struggling on defense, but competent at the very least on offense, I'm picking your team every day of the week and, and literally twice on Sunday, because that's a lot more fun uh, to watch than a bunch of three and outs and, you know, you're sitting there on third down or, you know, between third and fourth down while your offense is running off the field and the punt team is coming on again to think, what the hell are we doing out here? Like, what, seriously, what was that uh, kind of thing? So, I mean, I very much would be on board with what your guys are doing versus what mine are putting us through. And, and you know, Clint Kubiak hasn't been a favorite among Vikings fans this year. And like I said, there were some times early in the season where, you know, you kind of scratch your head at some of the stuff that the offense was doing some of the play calling or whatever over the last few weeks i think he's really uh, started to kind of find something here i mean kirk cousins has gotten more aggressive uh taking shot plays down the field uh trying to you know fit uh, fit things into tighter windows than he might ordinarily do i wonder you know with uh with the kind of offense we see from kubiak how much uh, mike zimmer's influence kind of kind of tamps things down a little bit because you know, Zimmer is one of those guys where if he could run the ball 60 times a game, he'd run it 60 times a game and not have, you know, any problems with that. But, you know, when you've got a guy like Cousins who's more than capable of making all the throws and you got Justin Jefferson who's been just 
spectacular. I mean, nobody can have any complaints about that guy. Yeah. And uh, and Adam Thielen, who's basically automatic uh, in the red zone once the Vikings get down there. Uh, they're doing this without Irv Smith Jr., who was supposed to have a huge breakout season this year and wound up getting hurt in the last preseason game and hasn't played this year. Uh, so that's uh, that's been uh, not uh, not helpful to the offense. But, you know, he's uh, he's made K.J. Osborne into a solid third option to wide receiver. So, you know, he, he might get some... He might get some interviews around the league this year. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes or, you know, if Mike Zimmer does uh, wind up getting uh, canned at the end of the season, whether he's a candidate to even take over in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the more entertaining teams in recent memory besides that 2018 squad for the Bears was Tressman's first year in 2013 when we had um, you know, Cutler was still the quarterback. We had Brandon Marshall. We just signed martellus bennett and we had matt forte in the backfield and alshon jeffrey uh and stuff and statistically this was the best offense in the nfl besides the broncos who i don't know if you remember scored literally like 600 points and set all the nfl records that was the year that paid through for like 56 touchdowns uh in a season that was the only offense better than the bears in 2013 but we went from having a top five defense that had the most turnovers and the most uh like um scoop and score pick sixes defensive we had like nine or ten defensive touchdowns in 2012 to being literally the worst defense in the nfl the year after so like they just i don't know if we got old overnight or if we really missed erlacher that much just 2013 was our first year without erlacher yep but that was the team that went eight i mean very much like the vikings we went eight and eight and missed the playoffs that year Yep. You know, but we had 400 plus points we scored. I mean, and it didn't matter who the quarterback was because Jay Cutler missed like five, six games at quarterback, and Josh McCown came in and played as well, if not better, than Cutler in, in those games and, and kept us in the playoff hunt. But we also had football games where we gave up 50 points to the Eagles and, you know, lost the game <laughs> on Sunday night football that set up that, that matchup with the Packers in week, uh, week 17. So, I mean, yep. it, it was a crazy crazy year but it was way more entertaining than what the bears are doing now uh you know when when we need these fluke huge plays just to be in a ball game like we were on sunday uh against the packers rather than being that offense that you can count on at least 24 points a game if not more and it's just going to be up to the defense to allow less than that yeah i mean like you said the offense is having an entertaining offense is always more enjoyable than you know, like you said, being bad on offense, even if you have a great defense. I yeah, mean, yes. You know, I mean, if you look at that that Ravens team that won the Super Bowl, Jesus, has that been twenty years? Good God, I'm old. <laughs> I know, but yeah, but they went like they went like five games without scoring an offensive touchdown, and yes. they knew they didn't have to because the the defense just mauled people. But right. I mean, even that's not. I mean, I'm sure even Ravens fans were sick of watching, you know, Trent Dilfer run out there and go three and out on every series and whatnot. But you know. That might have been an exception because they just had so many great players on that defense. But, yeah, ha- having an entertaining offense is always more enjoyable than, you know, bad offense and, you know, decent or even above average defense. So, yeah, the Vikings offense I really don't believe is the problem 90% of the time. Right. I mean, they've had their they've had their issues in spots this year, but most of the time they've been putting points up. So I, I don't think the fact that this team is 6-7 and seven is really on them. 
Yeah, because my, my prevailing thought, and I, I can't even tell you how many times I said it throughout the 2013 season because I was still doing the show back then, was if we even had a mediocre middle-of-the-road defense, we'd be like 14-2 and two because mm-hmm. this, this offense is just unstoppable at times. You know, the NFL hadn't cracked the Tressman nut just yet as far as the offense he was putting out there. But it's like our defense, we had the worst run defense in the NFL that first year under Mel Tucker, who's now a $10 million a year head coach in college football, by the way. Um, And go figure that one out. Um, But under Mel Tucker, we went from being one of the most stout run defenses in the NFL to literally the worst. And then in 2014, we were better in run, but we couldn't defend the pass to save our lives. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a very interesting tenure under Mel Tucker. But, um, you know, but week in and week out, if if we had had – the, the 16th ranked defense in the NFL, we would have been the best team in the league that year. And I just get the feeling that maybe if the defense could tighten things up for you guys, you'd be a hell of a lot better than six and seven. They, they definitely would be. And like I said, I know we've had some injuries this year. I mean, Anthony Barr has a chronic knee thing where you never know from week to week whether he's going to play or not. Uh, Michael Pierce has missed a bunch of time. Uh, Patrick Peterson missed uh, – a handful of games coming out of the bye with a hamstring injury. I mean, yeah, so the Vikings have had injury issues, and some of their depth guys have actually developed quite nicely over the course of this season. But, uh, yeah, the the defense more often than not is the issue uh, with this football team. And, again, that, you know, Mike Zimmer has a reputation as being a defensive guy. And, you know, even with the injuries, uh, there's been a lot of times where this defense just has not gotten it done. So, uh, I think that's going to weigh pretty heavily on him at the end of the season when the Wilfs are deciding what to do. Yeah, and as a fan base, that's got to be frustrating, especially since during the Zimmer era, the defense has kind of been this team's calling card, and yet that's the one unit that's kind of... And the one year that you really put something together on offense is the year that your defense doesn't answer the call. Because that's, yep. that's, that's 2013 for us. I mean, literally night and day uh, for us, Chris. 2012 best defense in, in the in the league or at least top five top scoring defense in the league all the takeaways and peanut punching fumbles out and all that <laughs> kind of stuff to in 2013 with a lot of the same guys but a different guy calling the plays one of the more swinging gate defenses uh you'll find in the year that we finally figure out and put something really special together uh on offense and like i feel like these two teams kind of mirror each other very well you know you have that you have that polarizing quarterback that half the fan base loves, the other half is like, meh, kind of yep. with. If you surround him with weapons that he can play with, well, you figure it out on offense. You, you have no trouble really putting 30 points a game up, but now all of a sudden the, the strength of the, the, of the team, or at least the heart of the team in your defense, is what's failing you on a weekly basis. It's got to be frustrating for you know to, to, to watch that happen. It's like, man... We really got something going on offense, but apparently that means we can't have anything good on defense this year. Whether it be injuries or, like you said, uh, maybe taking the foot off the gas late in ball games or late in halves and and stuff like that. It's just like, why does this keep happening that uh, we can't seem to balance out the team? No, I, yeah, the the balance is almost impossible to achieve. I mean, yeah. for us, I mean, you know, even back in 2017 when they made the run to the. NFC championship game or whatever the offense wasn't great that year 
But, you know, the defense was spectacular at yeah. just about every level. They had Pro Bowl guys at, you know, on the defensive line and at linebacker and in the secondary and just stars all over the place. And, you know, the, the defense gave the offense enough opportunities to score enough points to be successful, but that wasn't a great offense by any stretch. So, you know, it still really wasn't super balanced. I mean, the 2019 team might have been more balanced than the, the 2017 team was, but... You know, they, they just had more uh, games where they couldn't get stops at the end and wound up not having as good a record and, you know, just aren't held as in higher regard as a 2017 team was. So, you know, it, it's really difficult to find that balance. You kind of have to catch uh, lightning in a bottle sure. like the uh, the Chiefs did a couple of years ago where both the offense and the defense were pretty good. But, uh, yeah, it's really difficult and, you know, you have to you have to have quite a bit of luck in there as well. Yeah, it does help. So Monday night, Chris, um, like we've talked about, we've talked about it many times, how weird things just happen in this rivalry. You know, we, we, we talked about the Devin Aroma Shadu game on Monday night that cost the Vikings home field advantage in the playoffs back in 09. We had no yep. business whatsoever winning that football game, and it was a knockdown, dragout shootout that went to overtime when Favre and, and, and the Vikings that year were murdering everybody. Um, and, and then, you know, inexplicably, you know, a good Bears team can go into Minnesota and, and, and lose a game just as easily when they had no business losing to that team that year uh, and everything. It's, it's always been a home-and-home, home, but it's also almost always been a weird finish just because familiarity or something between these two uh, organizations that we're always in for something interesting when these two teams get together. It, it sure is. I mean, it, it's always been interesting. There's been weird games at the Metrodome. There's been weird games at Soldier Field. Uh, I don't know if any of the, the U.S. Bank games quite yet really qualify as weird, but uh, it's weird that you guys keep showing up at Week 17 or Week 18 every year at <laughs> U.S. Bank Stadium, but, you know, yeah, like you said, that. It doesn't matter how good or bad the Vikings are or how good or bad the Bears are. It's always interesting uh, for the most part. I mean, last year the these two teams tried to set offensive football back a couple of decades yes. with the uh, with the <laughs> it was it was just an ugly football game, but yeah. you know, it, that's one of those weird things that happens between these two teams. Like the the one game we've talked about, I can't remember what year it was at Soldier Field, but it was the uh the Gus Ferrat and uh, I can't remember who was quarterbacking the Bears, but you know we weren't expecting any points. It wound up being like forty-eight right. to forty-one yes. or something yes. just ridiculous. It was Kyle and, Orton who was our quarterback. Yeah, that day. Kyle Orton and Gus Ferrat putting up a combined uh, eighty-nine points because everyone saw that coming. Right. Um, you yes. know, but it, it's always weird with these two teams, and you know, given the way the Vikings have played literally every opponent they've played this year, it's uh, it's probably going to come right down to the end of the game again. It's just going to be a matter of who makes the least mistakes or who makes the last mistake or however you want to view it. But, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be a, another close and interesting football game. Yeah. So what would it take for my guys to come away with the win, aside from having history on our side? I mean, the, the big one, I mean, we saw with the Bears on Sunday night against the Packers, you have to win on special teams. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a lot of what uh, – you know, if you're a team that perceives themselves to not be quite as good, special teams is the, the one place you can gain an advantage. And the Vikings haven't been bad on special teams this year. I mean, Greg Joseph's missed a few kicks and whatnot. But, you know, Jordan Berry is having one of his better seasons as the punter. Uh, Kenny Nwangwu 
I think he's kind of reached the status of you know Cordero Patterson or those guys where if the if the kickoff doesn't land in the fourth row of the seats, he should be allowed to run it out of the end zone. But uh, I mean, he, he's touched the ball like eight times and he has two touchdowns. That, that's a pretty solid ratio. Let that dude handle the football if he gets his hands on it. But you know, I think special teams is going to be a big one, and the the Bears have always you know, historically they've been pretty good on special teams. I'm not sure what they look like this year, but you know, special teams is the one place where they could uh, get an advantage. And you know, Mike Zimmer against rookie quarterbacks has usually been a recipe for success for the Vikings. I don't know what uh, sort of condition Justin Fields is in, but I don't know if the defense is going to hold up their end of the bargain necessarily in that case uh, this year with the way they've played. So, yeah, I I think the special teams is probably going to be the big key for for Chicago in this one. But, you know, just weird things, man. They they could come out and drop 40 points on this one, and I, I wouldn't even be surprised. Well, I mean, the funny thing is, like, I, I, we talked about the first matchup last year. I think it was Week Ten on Monday yep. night, where, like you said, we said offensive football back twenty years. Uh, but then you fast forward to like five weeks later in Minnesota, and we broke the scoreboard on each other running the football because mm-hmm. David Montgomery out, actually outran Dalvin Cook, but un, you know, uncharacteristically, Dalvin Cook with. With the Dalvin Cook antidote in uh, Keem Hicks on the field, still ran for over 130 yards and and a couple of touchdowns. It's just that David Montgomery ran for more, you know, in a very strange football game uh, between the two. Like they they like oh well, we didn't play offense in the first game, so we'll play we won't play defense in the second one, and um, you know we'll have this weird uh, outcome and and a really fun back and forth, you know, Montgomery versus Cook kind of matchup thing uh going on I, I feel like something like that could happen this uh this monday with uh with those two running backs especially with the way cook ran against pittsburgh the other night it, it definitely could i mean last year in the game at u.s bank stadium they couldn't get any pressure on miss trubisky and he just sort of did what he wanted i mean trubisky threw uh, one difficult pass that entire game i think and it wound up getting uh, intercepted in the yeah. end zone so i mean I mean, the difficult. I think the word you're searching for stupid. It was a stupid well, throw. I, I was I was trying to be a little more respectful, given that's, that you know ever that's since fine. His we can season, we can be honest was, about Mitch. We we know that he wasn't. <laughs> now that we know, you know, with Nagy having an actual unbelievably talented quarterback at his disposal, we know that that Mitch wasn't the problem, but he was definitely a problem. And moments like that is what made Mitch Trubisky a problem for us you know like that if we score like even if we settle for a field goal we're looking at a very different football game at the end instead he throws that dumbass interception and all of a sudden you guys have a shot to you know either tie or take the lead or something like that uh you know late in the football game so yeah Uh, i love mitch and we can be as diplomatic as possible but that throw is stupid it wasn't difficult it was stupid (laughs) and that that makes the the vikings record against mitch trubisky just that much more unexplainable i think he was i think he was like four or two or five and two against the Vikings as a starter or something like that, and I don't understand that. But that's just one of the main things about this football team that I don't understand. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was bad. But, you know, like I said, we can we can expect just about anything between these two teams and absolutely not be surprised by it, I think. Uh, and I think we can end there, Chris, because that's <laughs> rather than trying to predict what's going to take place on, on Monday, how about we just, uh, you know, we pull up a chair on Monday night and with a bowl of chips and uh, – 
you know, a drink and, and just uh, watch the carnage unfold. I think that's a fine idea because you have nothing, nothing better than the eyes of the entire National Football League audience being on uh, this game at Soldier Field between two teams that you know, nobody can seem to really get a handle on. Yeah, remember when Monday Night Football used to be the premier matchup of the week? Mm-hmm. Like, it was must-see TV no matter who was playing. You just couldn't miss Monday Night Football, and now it's, now a, it's on ESPN, so it's on cable now, and, uh, you know, the matchups are, are, are very rarely like, ooh, can't miss that one. So yeah. uh, it happens more, you, more times than often, unfortunately, these days. Yeah, you can't flex teams out of Monday Night Football. Unfortunately, they're right. they're stuck with us. Right. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll be around and see what happens. And of course, uh, you know, we'll, what do you what do you do in the last week of the season? I hear our teams might be playing each other once again uh, to close out the year. <laughs> I know. I'm as stunned as you are. This is just the weirdest thing. But uh, I will definitely be here uh, talking about it with you. And we'll, uh, you know, given the way these two teams are trending, we're. Uh, we're probably going to get an opportunity to talk about head coaching candidates and uh, possibly, possibly new GMs, possibly yeah. the draft and yes. the GM candidates, and uh, all sorts of things that are going to uh, wind up, you know, with a a meaningless football game in Week 18. It's probably going to be part of the early window because oh, I wouldn't uh, the only that. the only games that are part of the late window in Week 18 are games that actually mean anything to anybody in the playoff chase. And I don't know if either of our teams are going to be there, so. Yeah, I will definitely be here though, and it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. Well, and I also love uh, <laughs> how you pointed out, Chris, that that last year in 2020, of course, we did not play Week 17. Uh, nope. However, we were the last home game. So how many ever how many years in a row is that that the Bears oh. are the last home game in Minnesota? Because you guys went on the road the last two games of the season last year, which means that our our record as far as being the last home game in minnesota is at least on a six-year streak yep every, every year that u.s bank stadium has been in existence the uh, the bears have been the last regular season home game so yeah that uh, that's a streak that's uh, continued on and they were they were the last regular season game at least uh, at least the first year at tcf bank so that's seven out of eight i'd have to go back and look at the 2015 schedule because we finished we finished 2015 in green bay on a sunday night but yeah, I can't remember if the Bears were the last home game that season too. So it, it's either it's either seven years out of eight or eight in a row. I can't remember. Wow, I'm not a hundred percent sure which one it is because yeah, twenty thirteen was the last year of the Metrodome and we closed that season out against Detroit. So it's it's at least seven out of eight, maybe eight in a row. But uh, yeah, no more than that. Right. Yeah, just eight years in a row. That's all. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that that works. Anyway, we'll Chris, uh, we we look forward to. Uh, to having you back at the uh, end of the year, hopefully we'll at the very least enjoy Monday night's game. If, if even if we don't care for the outcome, whatever uh, may be, we love having you on the show. We look forward to talking to you real soon, and uh, happy holidays in the meantime. Happy holidays to you as well, Larry. I hope uh, hope you guys have a, a successful uh, rest of your season, uh, Monday night and week eighteen excluded, right? Of course, and yeah, uh, yeah, we will definitely be back to uh, to talk about the season finale all right as always want to thank chris gates for coming back on the show we look forward to 
having him on for the week 18 preview in three weeks when we close out the year, guaranteed. And um, we'll talk about, uh, you know, are the Vikings still on the brink? Because they're like the first team outside of the playoff hunt right now. They're the It's them and the, um, I was going to say Redskins, the Washington football team that are at six and seven. And uh, Washington just has, maybe they have like a head-to-head or have they have some kind of edge over the uh, Vikings. And they're in right now. The Vikings are out. So three weeks from now, say, say if the Vikings win on Monday and they pull out another win or two, uh, I mean, they need to beat us, that's for sure, because they've got L.A. and Green Bay after they play us, uh, you know, L.A. and Green Bay before they play us again. So I don't think 2-2 two and two is going to be good enough to get them in uh, to the playoffs. So they're going to need to beat us both times and steal at least one of those games against Green Bay and uh, or L.A. So uh, that's tough. So a team that they have, you know, no matter how good they are, how bad we are, and vice versa, a matchup that has always troubled them. I mean, we talk about the Devin Aroma to do game in 2009 where we were what maybe 5 and 9 or something like that going into that game. The the Vikings if they beat us, they get home field advantage in the playoffs and uh, and all that kind of stuff and you know, Cutler and and Aroma should do uh hook up for like 169 yards and three touchdowns and we beat the Vikings in overtime. So that no way in hell that should have happened, and it did. And we've had other games like that in the series in recent memory uh, as well, like we talked about uh, during the during the conversation. So um, who knows what to expect uh, from these games, especially with like the way we're struggling on offense, but we had those big play moments last week against Green Bay. And this is a defense that is constantly giving up points, constantly. I mean, I don't even know what their ratio is like in the red zone or or anything like that. All I know is that when you look up and down their schedule, they are no stranger to giving up 25, 30 plus points per game. So it's not like this is a team that's losing games uh, like we are 17 to, you know, 15 or 16 to 13, like we did uh, to the Ravens or, or, or anything like that. This is, this is a team that's losing football games, 34 to 31. And yeah. And, and things like that. It's, like my, my biggest concern is our defense versus their offense. That's that's like if, if we win that matchup, we'll win the game because offensively we should be able if we can stop or slow them down, we should be able to score enough points against their defense to get us a win. So who knows? But we'll talk more about that tomorrow in the deep dive preview. We'll talk about how COVID is not only kicking our ass, but everyone else's. Uh, as of last count, we got five guys uh, on the COVID list. I don't know how many of them are unvaccinated and have a shot to play uh, on Monday, but all I know is that we've got five guys in the protocol uh, right now, and we're one of the lucky ones because teams like Cleveland uh, have like 14. Somebody's got 18. I think actually Cleveland's got 18. Somebody else has 14. I mean, it's, it's bananas. It's like it's, it's cold and flu season, but instead of the cold or the flu, people are catching COVID. It's crazy right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that is all going to affect the lineup, especially since one of them is, is Larry Borum uh, or Barom or however. I always get them mixed up. But if he's out, Jermaine Afidi still isn't back from his knee injury. We don't know if Jason Peters is going to go yet. So could we have an Elijah Wilkerson, Tevin Jenkins tackle combo out there? If is, you know, could Jason Peters be good enough to go? We shift Tevin Jenkins over to the right side and that's our tackle combo and, uh, or what have you. 
who knows? You know, I don't even know if we'll know by tomorrow when it's, uh, you know, when it's all said and done. But uh, we'll do our best to find out, along with keys to the game and, and other news and notes uh, from the week uh, in the NFL. So come on back tomorrow for the deep dive preview. Get you ready for Bears Vikings on Monday night. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate.